Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Hello, hello. I want to welcome you to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today I'm really excited uh, for this one. We have Nir Eyal. Nir is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Hooked and Indistractable. He's also an investor, a consultant and a public speaker. Nir, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks. Great to be here. Excellent. It's so good to have you uh, with us uh, today. And um, really looking forward to kind of diving deep into a little bit about your journey and also your your book in particular, Hooked, I really wanted to focus on. Um, having wrote several books myself, people always say to me, you know, like, Matt, how do you go about writing a book? And I always find it fascinating because when I've asked other authors this question, they've had a totally different style to the way that I've gone about writing mine. I was just fascinated. How did you go about writing yours? So for me, I always write books to answer questions that I myself have. My mantra as I'm writing is follow your curiosity. So with Hooked, I uh, was looking for a book on how to build habit-forming products, and I didn't find such a book. So I started blogging about the topic uh, for, for several years. And then a, a business school professor of mine at Stanford uh, emailed me and said, I really like your framework. I love your thinking on this. Let's teach a class together. And then that became a, a course that I taught at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford and later at the Hassel Platter Institute of Design at Stanford. And then through development of that class and that curriculum, that became my first book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. The second book uh, I also wrote for myself. In this case, it was a it was a book about distraction. And the reason I wrote the book was that the, the, the more successful I became as an author, uh, the more difficult it was to keep doing the thing that made me successful. The world kind of conspired against me in a way because I had more speaking engagements and consulting engagements and and uh, all these things that took me away from the, the one thing that I really love to do and and uh, I, I, I needed to do to, to ensure my future career as an author. I was getting more and more distracted from that thing. And so that's why I decided to write Indistractable because when I read other books on the topic on how to stop getting distracted, none of them worked for me. <laughs> I kept getting distracted. And so I figured, you know, that's really when I need to dive into a topic when I read everybody else's book on the topic and it doesn't really work for me. That's when I need know that I need to go back to first principles and original research and write the book that I was looking for. Amazing. Like, I really like the fact that You've talked about curiosity from from the bat. That came across uh, another conversation that I was having with Jack Canfield recently, and 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 this word curiosity seems to be very poignant at the moment. And I, I love the fact that you're answering your own questions and then writing about that. Is it when it comes to writing? Because I'm very much, you know, I can write for thirty minutes and then and then I'm I'm kind of done. Do you kind of like write like intensely, or do you kind of do it short and steady? So a big principle that I learned uh, while writing Indistractable, which by the way, took me five years to write because I kept getting distracted. Uh, and so the, the one of the principles that I learned was this idea of time boxing that uh, this is one of the most 
well-studied time management techniques out there that uh, very few people use, but is really a game changer uh, because you know maybe people are stuck to this antiquated to-do list method, which I think is one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. And what does that look like? You know, to-do list of write three pages or uh, do uh, 1500 words, uh, it, that's ridiculous. Um, a much better technique is to time box that a real professional shows up, puts their butt in the chair and does the work from time X to time Y. Uh, so whether that's 30 minutes, if that's what you wanna do or an hour or two hours, that's really your prerogative. The point is not the output, it's about the input. That you, of course, you can't generate output without input, but what many, many people do when they use this silly to-do list technique is only think about the outputs without considering the input. And your input as an author is two things. It's your time and your attention. And so you have to plan for the inputs if you want to get the output. Uh, and there's just too many exogenous factors. So sometimes I'll sit down at my desk and I'll, I'll have nothing. <laughs> and I'll sit there for two hours. And that's okay. Uh, and sometimes I work two hours straight nonstop because the ideas are flowing. But if I don't make the time to sit in this chair and do the work, then the work will never get done. If I only waited until when I felt like it to do the work, there wouldn't be no output. So it's 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 really imperative, at least at least for me. I mean, hey, whatever technique works for you is great. But I know many authors out there, they make up BS excuses like writer's block. Writer's block doesn't exist. That's that's ridiculous. Writer's block is 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 nothing more than than uh, the inability to sit down and do the work. And sometimes the work doesn't come out. That's okay. It's not your job to have to, to have the output. The job is to put in the input. The rest will flow. Yeah, I love that. And obviously you, you've already kind of touched on my next question that I was really thinking about is the fact that we do have a lot of people that that want to write a book uh, and being able to articulate their thoughts, their stories, um, their words onto paper. I mean, you, obviously you utilize the fact that you're answering your own questions, which I think is really, really good, like tangible. It's kind of exciting as well because I think it's a really smart way to – um, you know, I was going to use the word hook, but it really is like just to to hook your own ideas onto uh, what you're wanting to share. Have you got any other like maybe tips on that before we kind of move into more of the premise of of what hooked is really about? I think it's it's uh, one thing that's really helped me is I never set out to write a book. Uh, I set out to write bite size insights that if I do that enough time, so I, I blog my way to my book, both my books, um, uh, I, I blog my way through because, you know, sit, sitting down and saying, I'm going to write a book, that's really hard to do. It's a gargantuan goal. As opposed to if I said, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm going to sit down and write a blog post. Blog posts are easy to do, right? It's a few few hundred, maybe a thousand words or two. And uh, that's that's what I'm looking forward to doing. And, and it turns out if you just do that task consistently, if you just if you, if you don't put the pressure on yourself to say, I have to finish a book on this topic, but rather I'm going to blog this out. I'm going to talk through an idea and I'm going to share it publicly and I'm going to hear what people think about that idea. If you do that consistently, it turns out after a year or two, you've got plenty of content for a book or at least the 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 skeleton of a book that then you can flesh out where the pieces and connective tissue might be missing. Um, so so that to me is, has really been a, a, a secret to, to, to producing these books 
is not to think of them as books, but rather blogging your way to a book. And today, you know, with the miracle of the internet, I love getting reader feedback. I love hearing, uh, you know, what people think along the way. And if uh, if if they tell me I'm wrong, if they present new research, if they, uh, uh, you know, give me insights I wouldn't have otherwise thought of, that's gold. I, I love that. I'd much rather be wrong in a blog post than be wrong in a published book. Yeah, that's that's true enough for sure. So, so what is the premise of of Hooked then for you, Neil? What what is it really about? Yeah, so Hooked, my first book, is about how to build habit forming products. It's about how to build healthy habits in users' lives through the products and services they use. So, essentially, I stole the secrets from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack and Snapchat, so that the rest of us could use these techniques to democratize these techniques for good. So, instead of just building frivolous video games or silly social networks, we can use the same psychology that gets us hooked to these tech products to get people hooked to healthy behaviors. And uh, since the book was published back in 2014. It's been used in every conceivable industry from healthcare to financial services to uh, fitness apps, uh, all kinds of educational products, all kinds of products and services use the hook model to get people hooked for good, for healthy habits in their lives. And of course, healthy habits in a consumer's life makes for healthy bottom line in the business life. Uh, And so that's hooked. And uh, indistractable is the other side. So if Hooked is about how do we build good habits with the products and services we use, indistractable is about how do we break the bad habits. So Hooked was really uh, targeted towards people who are building product, marketers, uh, uh, product managers, CEOs, people who are building products. Indistractable is for everyone. Everyone who struggle with the fact that, like, like I used to struggle, with the fact that we'll say we'll do one thing and then somehow or another, we don't do that thing or we do something else despite knowing what to do. And I think this is such a fascinating question, right? Why is it that even knowing what to do, we don't just do it. Somehow we we get distracted. So it's not that we don't know the answer uh, of what we should do. You know, we all know, okay, to get in shape, you have to exercise and eat right. We know to have good relationships with our family, we have to be fully present as opposed to being constantly on our devices. Uh, to do great at, at work, we have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't wanna do. We know how to do these things. We don't know how to get out of our own way. And that's really the challenge of this century with so many potential distractions is really figuring out how do we get out of our own way so that we can do the things that we ourselves want to do. So Hooked is about building good habits with technology and and various products. Indistractable is about how do we break the bad habits that don't serve us. And and the good news is, just to wrap it up, the good news is we can have both. (laughs) It's not, they're not contradictory, right? We can have good habits around certain products and services, you know, an app that helps you learn a language or helps you exercise. That's a great habit to have. But we can also break the bad habits around, you know, too much television, too much uh, Facebook, too much whatever. We can break those bad habits as well if we know the deeper psychology persuading us. Mm. How do how do we build our own like habit forming like product or service? People that are listening, because uh, that really stood out to me when you when you said that about about creating our own habits. How, how do we actually do that in in a product or service form? Yeah, so this is called the hooked model, and it's a four part framework that we see repeated time and time again. Once you see it, you can't unsee it in in products and services that you use. So every habit forming product, online, offline, uh, it doesn't matter the industry, you'll see this pattern repeated time and again, essentially these four basic steps of a trigger, an action, a reward, and finally an investment. So the trigger, we have two kinds of triggers, external triggers and internal triggers. External triggers are all the things in our outside environment, the pings, the dings, the rings. Uh, And then comes the action phase. So that might be opening an app, scrolling a feed, pushing 
a play button, any of these simple behaviors done in anticipation of a reward. Then comes the variable reward phase where we find that there's some kind of uncertainty, some kind of mystery, what's called an intermittent reinforcement or a variable reward. That's what keeps us pecking and checking, right? It's the uncertainty principle of what we might find. Same reason we like to play a slot machine. It's that game of chance. Playing on that slot machine uses the exact same psychology as scrolling on your feed. It's all about variable rewards. And then finally, and perhaps most overlooked, is what's called the investment phase, which is where the user puts in some bit of effort for a future benefit, not for immediate reward, but for a future benefit that accrues over time. This is what I call stored value. So a habit-forming product doesn't depreciate, right? Not like things in the physical world, like your car, your clothing, your couch. These things lose value. Habit-forming products must appreciate. They get better and better the more they are used because of this principle of stored value. So it's imperative that your product stores value, gets better with use, so that through successive cycles through these hooks, eventually you no longer need to send customers spammy marketing messages or expensive advertising. People start using the product not because they have to, but because they want to. And that's really where a habit is formed is when there's an association with an internal trigger talked about external triggers, all those pings, dings, and rings. But what we find is a habit-forming product doesn't need those external triggers. Once the habit is formed, people start checking the product on their own. They're internally triggered to use these products. And that's where the habit takes hold. Do you, do you find like you geek out a little bit like on the psychology of like human behavior? Because I always think that it's really fascinating, you know, how we can study the way that people buy and the way that uh, we're all kind of like, as you said, had these triggers and we have an association with something good that enables us to kind of want to keep delivering. Like I'm thinking after this podcast, it's like minus three and I'm already thinking about I'm going to go out for a run because I already know that the reward of going for the run is greater than, you know, the actual challenge. You know, is this this something that kind of consumes you and, and excites you? Absolutely. So I've always been fascinated with uh, human psychology, and, and the book is very much based on uh, on peer-reviewed studies. I, I hate books that you read that are, you know, here's my pet idea around why you should live your life the way I live my life. And that's nice, but to me, that's not good enough. I, I really want my books to be backed by peer-reviewed studies. So both my books have over 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies uh, in, in leading journals. Uh, and, and all of this is stuff that you know, very few people take the time to actually read these studies. They're very, very boring. They're written to not be understood. Uh, and the, generally they're read by, you know, maybe a few dozen people oftentimes. Um, but so that's really my job is to digest this this amazing research that's been, you know, locked up in the in the uh, ivory towers of, of academia and bring them to everyone else, right? So that the rest of us can really get benefit from knowing these principles from consumer psychology. Love that. And then going going to in, indistractable, uh, you were talking about, you know, the importance of, of getting out of your own way. And I was just wondering, like, how do you go about that? How how do you go about getting out of your own way? Have you got some thoughts on that? Yeah, so I follow the principles of indistractable. As I mentioned, it took me five years to write the book because I kept getting distracted. And it wasn't until I dug into the academic research and really learned what uh, what the social scientists tell us about how to focus, how to do what you say you're going to do, that I could become indistractable myself, uh, starting with understanding what the word distraction even means. This is a really important distinction. It's one of those terms people think they understand, but when you press them on and you say, okay, well, if you understand what distraction is, tell me what distraction is not. What's the opposite of distraction? 
And most people will tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, right? I don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused. But that's not exactly right. But the opposite of distraction is not focus. If you look at the origin of the word, the root of distraction comes from the Latin root trahare, which means to pull. And so the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. It becomes very obvious when you see it, right? Traction and distraction. And both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather it is an action that we ourselves take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things you do, you do with intent, things you, that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. The opposite, distraction, is any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, away from your goals, away from your values, away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this is just more than semantics. This is actually a, a very important distinction because I would argue that any action can be traction or distraction based on one word. And that one word is intent. As Dorothy Parker said, the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. So we need to stop moralizing and medicalizing Every little potential distraction, right? Today, people say it's social media. People say it's, uh, you know, video games. The last generation said it was TV. Then before that, they said it was the radio. Then they said that it was a bicycle. Then they said it was actually the written word. Socrates is quoted as saying that the written word, this crazy technology of the written word was going to enfeeble men's minds. So what we tend to do is we blame the proximal cause. We blame whatever's in our hand for causing distraction but distraction has always been with us. Plato, the Greek philosopher, talked about distraction 2,500 years before the internet. It can't be caused by modern technology. It's always been with us. The root cause goes much, much deeper and is much more interesting than I think this uh, chicken little narrative we hear these days that uh, our attention is being hijacked, that our focus is being stolen. BS, it's not true. It is in our control. If we distinguish between what is traction and what is distraction? Most people never ask themselves this question. They go through life and they say, oh, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that and I didn't get to this and I didn't get to that without asking themselves in advance, wait a minute, how exactly do I want to spend my time? How do I want to spend my time? If you have big open swaths of time on your calendar, what are you complaining about? Everything is a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. I'm going to say that again. Everything is a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you don't plan your time in advance, you don't know what traction is. You have to plan in advance how you're going to spend your time so that you finally know this is traction, everything else is distraction. So that's the only way to distinguish between traction and distraction is to plan ahead. Then we have to start thinking about these triggers. And so this is the other two parts of, of the indistractable model, external triggers and internal triggers. This uh, quotes, it builds upon my work from, from Hooked. External triggers are all these pings, dings, and rings in the outside environment that can lead us to, towards distraction. But it turns out that those are only 10% of the time that we get distracted. Is it because of an external trigger? The other 90%, 90% of the time that we get distracted, it's not because of what's happening outside of us. It's because of what's happening inside of us. These are called internal triggers. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. These uncomfortable emotions that we seek to escape oftentimes with distraction. So step number one, you asked, what do I do in my own life? I follow the indistractable model. Step number one, 
You have to master those internal triggers or they will become your master. I don't care if it's too much news, too much booze, too much Facebook, too much uh, football. You will always find distraction somewhere unless you understand what you are looking to escape. What is that discomfort that you don't want to feel that's causing you to turn on the TV, watch the news, scroll a feed, take a drink, you name it. It's all about the desire to escape discomfort. So if you don't master that discomfort, it will master you. The second step is to make time for traction. As we said earlier, if you don't plan your time, somebody else is going to plan it for you. And if you can't call something a distraction, unless you know what it is distracting you from. So you've got to plan your time, making time for traction based on your values. And I tell you exactly how to do that. The third step is to hack back the external triggers, right? So yeah, they're on, they only account for about 10% of our distractions, but means there's a lot we can do with it. We can hack back the pings, the dings, the rings, the meetings, the pointless emails, our kids interrupting us. We can go through step-by-step step through all these external triggers and hack back. And then finally, we prevent distraction with pacts. We make these pre-commitments in advance that make sure that we stay on task. And if you use these four techniques in concert, anyone can become indistractable. Wow. I'm always fascinated. You know, when you look at the the root meaning of words, that that always fascinates me. I, I, I kind of really enjoy that. So when you gave us that whole concept of, of of traction that really like fascinates me that i'll listen back to that bit what you just said again because there's so much meat in there um and that word intent because like you said a action or or, or non-action actually really is determined by our, our intent or our purpose or or i always think of like stephen covey when he said you know start with the end in mind you know, for me, that really helps navigate a lot of my action or inaction. So that was really like that really resonated with me and, and definitely added something to my own thought process there. So thank you for that one. That was uh, that was great. Oh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what is what is the best way uh, near for us to create customer retention it always makes me laugh especially say with like car insurers i don't know about in singapore or in the us but in the uk it's it's like they work so hard to get my 12 month uh you know uh, car insurance then, then when it comes up to renewal it's about twice the price uh, and they went from being the cheapest to now being the most expensive people work hard to get uh, their custom, but they don't work as hard to to keep a hold of it. Like, what is what is the best way to actually start creating some of this customer retention? All right, so that's what the hook model is all about, actually. So that's that's what the entire book's premise is based on: is how do you build the kind of product that people use because they want to, not because they have to. Uh, some products are are more difficult than others, right? So a product that's not used frequently has a very low chance of becoming a habit. So car insurance is a great example. You don't really use car insurance, right? God forbid you get in an accident. Okay, then it comes in handy, but it just sits there until something terrible happens. God forbid you, you don't have to use it, right? Mm. Unfortunately, if you don't build a habit around your, you know, associated with your product, then you need to have some kind of other competitive advantage. It can be economies of scale. It can be brand. It can be intellectual property, or it can be a habit. So you've got to get one of those competitive advantages or you're going to have to compete on price and features. And so you beat up your competition left and right on price and features and price and features. And so it becomes pretty easy to switch. If all you have is, hey, we're cheaper than the other guy. Well, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be a race to the bottom and you're going to not have much margin left. Whereas if you have a habit with your product, think about this. How many times have you searched with Google in the past week? Probably dozens of times. How many times have you searched with Bing, the number two search engine? 
Probably never. Why? Is it because Bing is inferior? Google is just so much better? No, it turns out in third-party studies, when we look at how people respond to the search results of Google side-by-side -side with Bing, and we strip out the branding so people don't know which search result is which, it's a 50-50 preference split. They literally can't tell the difference. And yet Google has 90-something percent of search engine traffic, search engine uh, search, uh, searches on the web are, are directed at Google. Why is that? Because when you have a customer habit, the customer doesn't even consider your competition. When was the last time you said, hmm, I wonder who has the best search engine? You didn't do that. You just Google it with little or no conscious thought. Why? Because they have a monopoly of the mind. And so when we create a habit in a customer's mind, they don't even look to the competition. They don't compare prices. They don't compare features. They just do it with little or no conscious thought, which is, of course, a huge competitive advantage for the business that can enjoy that luxury of having a customer habit. Mm, yes, very, very true. Very true. Nir, is there anything that is burning like within you that you feel like we haven't captured that you really feel is, is an important like takeaway? You know, I'm considering the fact that we're coming to the end of 2022 people start to really think about the new year is there anything that you kind of want to share just as a, as a as an ending kind of like to this to this conversation that we're having today yeah i think uh, you know if you're interested in in these two topics of how to build habit forming products or how to make sure that you control your attention and choose your life by becoming indistractable certainly invite you to come to my website nearandfar.com that's spelled n i r and far.com nearandfar.com uh, the books are called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And if you go to indistractable.com, uh, there's a free 80-page workbook that we couldn't fit in the final edition of the book, so we decided to give it out completely complimentary, and that's at indistractable, that's spelled I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E, indistractable.com, and you can get that free workbook to guide you on your journey to becoming indistractable. Awesome. Well, now I've really enjoyed our, our time together and uh, look forward to seeing your journey unfold. And I'm definitely going to be listening back to this one myself. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.